Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Sean KB. We're going to do a, a, little, a little segment, a little NPR-style uh, reportage today. We have two interviews for you. Um, the first is for, with uh, Matt Marcinic, an Antifada listener, which is always cool. <laughs> and um, yeah. an activist in Minneapolis who is part of a mutual aid hub called Justice Frontline Aid. They set up with um, goods brought to them by protesters and folks that may or may not have been liberated from the nearby Target. Um, nudge, nudge, indeed, wink, wink. Parody, parody. And we also have an interview with... Um, the SoundCloud rapper slash warlord who is the current ruler of the chess. The brand new. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. We managed to get Raz on the show. That's Pretty right. impressive. That's right. The leader of the brand new Marxist-Leninist worker state that has been established in a six-block stretch of Seattle, which you all know by now if you've been watching Fox News. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's communism with soy boy characteristics. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> It, it's, uh, it's Alexander <laughs> Edward from the Minion Death Cult podcast. So, you know, basically just as cool as, uh, as the SoundCloud rapper Warlord. Indeed, indeed. And his interview, I think, is really good, too, because um, not only is he on the ground and able to give a good report back of what's actually going on, but um, he's kind of seen things progress over, over the years in Seattle and, and gives some good context for what's happening right now. That's right. So without further ado... Here is our first interview. So, uh, just understanding the Chaz from the internet, I'm unclear over whether it's a free state seceded from the continental United States and run by Antifa foot soldiers like yourself, but also undergoing some kind of internal cannibalism crisis or if it's a uh, peaceful protest zone dedicated solely to democratic finger painting, like the mayor says, which, which of the two is it? Um, well, wouldn't you know it? It's actually a confirmation of all your uh, most racist and boomer fantasies that you have inside your head. Every, every stereotype you have about black leadership, uh, every stereotype you have about socialists, it's all been confirmed by this zone. Uh, no, it's it's basically, as my understanding, uh, like we talked about before the show, um, so I'm not involved in like the organizational aspect of it. Uh, I'm just a resident in the area who has frequented the zone, which is now, I think, being called the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest or the CHOP, which I, I think is an improvement on the CHAZ <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, and I've also uh, helped them out with security and those sorts of things. I, I was manning uh, the the barricades last night for a bit. Um, my first of all, I'd like to say that uh, the the chop the zone is one hundred percent an improvement on the cops occupying that area. Uh, when the police were there uh, and protesters were there, it was uh, almost literally a flood of tear gas every night. It was, if you can see, if you've seen aerial photos of that, like, you know, four square block area around uh, the police precinct on 12th and Pine, uh, you can't see the street because of how much tear gas is there. And uh, there are residential apartments that 
obviously flank all those streets, flank the the police department that were uh, getting they were getting gassed in their own homes, basically, because of the behavior of the Seattle PD. So it, the Chaz could be almost anything. The chop, excuse me, could be almost anything, and it would be an improvement on on Seattle PD being there. Um, but what it's acting as now, in my opinion, is a public space. It's acting as a public space and sort of a, a headquarters for people who are trying to uh, get the Seattle PD completely defunded, uh, get reparations for people who have been incarcerated by the Seattle PD. Uh, there's actually a fairly detailed list of demands from uh, the organizers there. You can go to caphillauto.zone uh, and read these demands, and uh, they're pretty great. You know, it's it's still very general terms, and there is uh, sort of town halls going on during the day, but. I'm still working, so I can't really attend those. Um, but it seems like they're working to decide what the best direction is for uh, that area of the neighborhood. And, you know, Shama Sawant has suggested a sort of uh, um, turning the police department into a, a like, you know, a public rec center type thing to help, um, you know, prepare people economically and socially and just give people a space to to be, you know, uh, to hang out and and be active in their community. Um, and it's it's also, you know, pe- people probably aren't going to like this, but it's also just kind of like a street fair. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, we shouldn't be saying that because it's very you know, it's it's a serious time, but uh, it's it's also a lot of fun. So it's the chop now. We can't call it the Chaz anymore. That's betraying the movement. Well, I think uh, that distinction gets to your initial question, which is the chop or the Chaz rather makes it sound like uh, they're trying to secede from the state, from the country. Um, aside from some cheeky posters, some cheeky graffiti about leaving the U.S., I, I don't think that's part of their demands. <laughs> I don't think that's uh, part of the mission here. It, it's mainly, um, you know, a show of strength, a show of community solidarity and presence. And I don't know, I think it's, you know, whatever, however cringe you want to think this is, and I understand it, I, I just, they, like, they beat the cops. <laughs> they beat the cops out of the city. And I don't, yeah, I don't understand I think, as a leftist how you how you can't like give them that. That's probably why the mythology of the Chaz spread so fast because people couldn't grapple with the fact that people are beating the police, like first in Minneapolis, then in New York, then uh, then in Seattle, uh, and also in Atlanta last night. So there has to be something to kind of bring people back to like making fun of the left and hating them. Yep. Uh, it also fulfills the, you know, the negative space for whatever fantasy the anti-antifa boomer conservatives and Trump need, you know, to justify their their fear and their hatred of liberals and the left in general. I never like um, I mean, there's a lot of things that are obviously surprising about uh, current year, but um, it's very funny to see, you know, Trump acolytes, MAGA boomers uh talking about like laying down their life to retake Seattle for the bougiest tech oriented neighborhood in the state. (laughs) All of Trump's fans like vowing to kill and die for, you know, some of Trump's like most vocal media critics. 
the Hell's Angels are gonna march into the Thai restaurant and sit down by force, order pad Thai for everybody. Yeah, nobody well, will stop them. The Hell's Angels—they're also part of that uh, the the white hat pedophile group. They're also like been—they've been immersed in the human trafficking organizations in order to take them down, and that's gonna happen uh, any year, just like with Trump. Yeah, the pedophile rings are hell, and they're the angels who are coming to raid hell. Generally, what I hear, though, is that the situation in the chop is very pleasant. Like you said, a festival atmosphere. There's, like, movie screenings, speak outs. People are playing sports on the field. Oh, yeah. Um, Kid, there's kids everywhere. General, there's dogs everywhere. It's it's like an open-air street fair, and that's, like, too... You know, some people are a little peeved that it's not being taken more seriously, I think. Like they want more guns and more hard barricades and that kind of thing. I think they don't want to be seen as like a like a hippy dippy thing. Okay, but those demands that you mentioned, I think we're talking about the same demand. It's like a fairly long list centered on black issues in Washington State, right? Yeah. How central is that? Like, how representative of the the people that are holding down the chat the chop is that list? Uh, these are all things that I've been hearing pretty consistently over loudspeakers. Um, apparently, this specific list of demands was uh, part of like a statement given at the time of conquest of Capitol Hill. Um, like it says right here, uh, these are words from that night, June 8th, 2020. Um, and I don't think these have been... I don't know if these have been ratified democratically because they are trying to uh, organize democratically. Uh, I think most people are uh, in favor of the abolition of the police or at least the defunding of the police, which I don't know, maybe people have a different opinion of what that means in their head. You know, like just like, oh, socialism is just roads. Don't you like roads? I don't know what they think. Um defunding the police means uh but that seems to be a consensus um the, except for uh one group i was reading about which is a uh i'm reading here from capitol hill seattle which is a blog that's been covering this very very well uh capitol hill seattle.com and the stranger.com have been doing uh pretty good work um not all who attended the talks Thursday were in agreement about continuing to occupy this space, particularly a group of women that came from the African-American Community Advisory Council, a group that works with the SPD to address concerns of the black community. Quote, you got a bunch of white people that are treating it like it's, uh, my sister said, a burning man. It's ridiculous. It's not solving anything. There needs to be a solution, said Connie Cates. Uh, and then she goes on to say, I think Chief, this is important, I think Chief Be Best is going to weed out the bad police. It's not going to happen overnight with any police department. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of people. Um, so Chief Best, if people aren't familiar with her, uh, she is the one who gave statements to, I think, YouTube. She posted a video to YouTube, and she's like the origin of the memes that uh, the people occupying the chop are extorting local businesses for protection. And she also said that there's a, a three times the, the amount of time it takes to respond to rape and burglary calls, although there haven't been any, right? Like, hypothetically, it would be three times longer, but yeah. it hasn't happened. So, so it's like two and a half hours instead of 45 minutes? You know, <laughs> well, like she it... said 18 instead of six. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, apparently this group who likes the SPD isn't happy uh, with people trying to abolish the SPD, but otherwise uh, most people seem to be very supportive of that effort. Okay, but like like you alluded to before, that's not to say there aren't some cultural schisms within the, uh, the not the zone, the, uh, what does the P stand for? Place? Uh, protest. Oh, yeah. Within the protest... There's like different. I read that there's different camps now. Like there's a, a camp maroon for mostly people of color. Is that correct? No idea. No idea. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm working like ten to twelve hour days, so I go before work and then I go after work on the on the weekends. Um, I saw some video about uh some I think it was like an Andy No video about somebody who wasn't black uh, demanding that all white people pay black people ten dollars. <laughs> Uh, I don't know uh, what that is. I think there's a lot of like liberal stuff that's like sprinkled in with this, you know, act of like militant direct action. Uh, so it's kind of funny to hear like you, you occasionally hear some like cringe, more liberal stuff over the loudspeaker and you're like, well, they're just kids, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. I think part of what's important to the conservatives about framing what's going on is showing if you do have this kind of freedom without cops where people are just organizing democratically based on talking to each other and building their own thing, then there's either going to be like the violence and robberies without accountability that the police lied about happening, or there's going to be people with like really bad cringe liberal ideas who run the show. So it's essential to them that they make up or at least find examples of both of those and that, you know, was a huge part of Occupy Wall Street mm. was, uh, you know, Breitbart was coming with this narrative that there's a lot of rapes going on. And I think there probably was rapes and sexual assaults, but it wasn't endemic to Occupy. It was, was it something in that, increased or uh, decreased? You know, there's you can say that. And, yeah, sexual assault is a very big problem in this country. I'm glad, you know, they're finally recognizing that. Right. Yeah, that's the thing is it's not about it's, it's just about like if you get rid of cops, this is what will happen. And so I think the the Chaz chop is now the way it's like counter propaganda. It's the perfect counter propaganda because you can just lie about what society will be like if it was run by these simultaneously Antifa super soldiers slash feminine soy boys. It's really interesting to see. So, you know, I do a show about like right wing media and right wing misinformation and just, you know, how people process like all the bullshit they read on Facebook or whatever. So I'm, I'm well versed in like, you know, the spin or the outright fake news, the outright lying on the, on, on the right wing. But it's very interesting to see it like about your neighborhood. That's that's the first time it's kind of like been this relevant to me specifically. Um, and it's just, you could not like have different, a different atmosphere or a different react. Like people think that the protesters in the chop are taking hostages. Like pe people think that they're, they are imprisoning white Christians in the chop. Like <laughs> there's this video of, um, protesters or, or people in the zone trying to like subdue a white Christian who's yelling. That, that like went viral uh, yesterday or so. Uh, that guy was walking around for four hours screaming at people, going up to the stage while other people were talking and screaming at them, screaming at young black women while they were trying to speak. And people like tolerated him for four hours and then eventually were like, all right, you got to go. And they just like, they, they, they uh, formed a kind of like, you know, 
what do you call it? Like a, sh- like a shield wall of just bodies in front of the stage. And then he just like fell down in front of them. And so then they dragged him off. Like it's you, it attracts a weird people. And, and that's one thing that you said that I think is, is, um, partially true is that when you have a more democratic space or a space without like authority figures, you're going to get a lot of cranks. You're going to get a lot of like, um, people who maybe don't have the space to air their weird grievances or you know or express themselves and because the community is more democratic like they have a bigger platform for that so you get like you get the weirdos you get the um more aggressive people and you also get like baby leftists you get like liberals who are feeling things out and they got a platform and they they want to talk about it so you're going to get all that in a more free society and and it's just funny uh to see people who have been rallying around the idea of free speech for uh paid right-wing speakers at colleges uh for years now like cry the fact that uh young people of uh all stripes and genders and beliefs are getting to be cringe in public well i guess along those lines that's another question i want to ask is how how much free speech would be tolerated there like you said that this uh that bigoted preacher was just he was just allowed to walk around inside for hours is that right that's what i heard uh, because i i i was talking to people and they said like uh, they, they, cause they, you know, they don't want like the optics. They don't want the optics of like dragging a Christian out of the, out of the zone or whatever. And he wasn't being violent. He was just being extremely disruptive. And like normally at an, at a normal event, you know, you would have security, security would take that person out. And then maybe there, there could be like a, a little bit of, uh, fodder on, on the opposing wing to say that, oh, you know, peaceful protesters are getting dragged out or whatever. But when it comes to like actual, you know, people in masks, and like black clothing with you know anarchy or hammer and sickles on their clothes doing it it becomes much more of a sensation so i think that's what they're they're worried about part of where i was going with that is part of what was cool about occupy is that you it wasn't a purely leftist thing it was i mean mostly students and younger people who were like kind of hippie-ish but maybe didn't consider themselves left you know recent obama voters or something beginning to understand how fucked up the world is. But you also had like a right wing element, like a libertarian element, and in a way that made Occupy kind of weird and right wing sort of. Uh, it had like a, this right wing tinge to it with the end the Fed stuff. But okay, uh, yeah, in like another Ron, way, the Ron Paul influence. Yeah. And, and some of those people like Tim Poole uh, and Michael White ended up going in like a kind of weird far right direction. But in another way, I think it's important that all these people who are arguing about shit online and on self-selected forums and Facebook groups actually do come out and meet each other. And maybe they can kind of struggle together and create, you know, uh, like a new understanding. Uh, Do do you think that's going on at all or or do you see it as more of uh, a leftist space? Um, So I do see it as like an explicitly leftist or liberal space but like a you know i i'd say liberal i guess in the best sense that you can give it like a lot of kids probably who think they're liberal but also very supportive of black lives matter supportive of defunding the police but maybe don't have like the class analysis there yet you know that's what i mean when i say uh liberal in this context but then um i've heard of uh right wingers coming into the space bringing guns to check it out 
and seeing what it actually is and seeing that it's <laughs> that it's not what Fox News or OAN told them or you know uh, what whatever meme they read it's it's not uh, a compound or whatever and uh, being asked to leave and then leaving um, when I was at the uh, one of the barricades last night these two guys came up and just talked to the other people at the barrack there was like four of us four or five of us there like talked to the other people incessantly about how like they're worried that this is just going to uh inflame the right wing further and this is just going to be an excuse for them to do another terror attack and it was like sickening to me to hear that kind of uh because they were older and most of the people there the barricades were younger so they're trying to be polite and like listen to them and it's just like the right wing is hitting people with cars and sh and shooting massive crowds like the only argument you're making is that we need to get more organized, basically. Um, another guy came up. It was very fun. A, a guy kind of sheepishly walked up. This is like, you know, 1 a.m. or something. And, like, he kind of, you know, looked at me and another guy, and then he pulled out his wallet, and he was like, do I have to show ID? <laughs> and, we were, and we were like, no, man, it's cool. Like, uh, you, you've been watching the news or what? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I just I wanted to be respectful. And we were like, no, man, it's cool. Like, the barricades are just there to keep, people from driving into pedestrians for for listeners who want to hear a little bit more about your experiences in the chaz chop uh you did a, a great bonus episode this week and i i hope you do another one next week with a another update because that was that was the best on on the ground reporting i've heard so far uh but one thing that you mentioned was that these barricades aren't to like separate the united states from from chaz world it's to it's because this guy rammed into a protest with a gun just last week yep. and people are worried about someone doing that again not only did he did he drive down one of the side streets that was like only kind of half cordoned off like there were trash cans in the middle of the crosswalk and it's this little block it's the block where my my practice space is on and it's uh it's caddy corner to where the the chop kind of starts and he just drove through it at like 40, 30 or 40 miles an hour. And people were running after him trying to stop him. And he and he finally came to a stop. And uh, dude, I think his name is Dan, reached into the car and like, you know, trying to incapacitate him. And the guy shot him. Like, so not only did he drive in there, he, he shot somebody. Luckily, it was only in the shoulder. And there were medics on scene who like threw themselves on top of this dude. So just like so many heroic acts in the, in the space of, of, you know, 10 seconds. Um, and yeah, the guy had like a clip. Uh, and then another clip taped to that clip for for re to reload. And supposedly that guy is the brother of uh, a cop, a Seattle cop. So it's it's all crazy. Um, and it's also very interesting to see the reaction to the barricades because those barricades are police equipment. Those barricades are like official SPD equipment that were put there by the police. So it's funny to see people react in horror even if it is feigned horror or whatever at the idea of these barricades when they're just seeing like official government property official government business mm -hmm. and it's like well why do why is that so frightening to you maybe you should examine maybe you should examine those feelings uh so i got a couple more questions uh there was another video that went viral last week of protesters pouring into city hall and it seemed like that ended up being sort of a more of a speak out than like an occupation. Uh, but what's been going on in Seattle 
outside of the zone? Has like the struggle been spreading in some way in some direction? Or is now the zone just kind of a self-contained protest and that's at, like everybody who wanna, wants to protest goes there? Um, no, so we, uh, so that night, uh, I, I think it was maybe Wednesday, uh, Shama, actually, Shama Savant actually led people into the building, the Capitol Hill building, um, to do, yeah, sort of uh, a speak out protest type action. And um, earlier that night when I was, I had gone to uh, the chop after work, uh, it was just like a spontaneous march that they, they, they you know, a couple hundred of us decided to do you know marched down to where the new cop where the cops are staying now and we yelled at them a bit and it was cool you know i i, I told them to uh, quit their jobs etc um and it's it's throughout the city so like i'm a ups driver and i i deliver capitol hill um i haven't been in west seattle in a bit but outside the chop i see like nothing but support for black lives matter you know businesses with with murals in their windows and that's another thing is is from everything that i've heard the businesses inside the chop seem to be very supportive of the action uh there hasn't been any looting there hasn't been any broken windows or anything in any of these stores they're staying open like the bougie hamburger store where it's like eight dollars for a mini burger like that place is wide open <laughs> you just go in and buy one of those uh that the hair salon is open um so it's uh I, I the city at large i think is very supportive of it at least from an aesthetic standpoint um and the conversations that i've been having with people like i i've seen people that uh, I deliver to like building managers and stuff like that. I've seen them in the chop with layer like Black Lives Matter patches and stuff. So uh, there are there was a I mean okay I don't know how I buried this lead. There was a sixty thousand person march on Friday. There was a sixty thousand per, uh, person march on Friday uh, that was so big that it almost lapped itself. Uh, and it was a totally silent march for black lives and reporting on the ground was that you could like all you could hear was the rain and it's i mean a 60,000 person march at any time is you know obviously it's a metropolitan highly highly dense city but still at any time that's like very impressive uh but let alone you know months after this movement started for this to still have so much momentum is, I don't know, it feels different because I was paying a lot of attention uh, in 2014 to the, the the Ferguson protests and I was marching for that. And, you know, unfortunately, it just it didn't go anywhere. It petered out. Um, and now it feels it feels different to me. It feels at least better than that or more promising than that. Yeah, I think in. And the the first wave of Black Lives Matter, there was this split between people who wanted to do these common sense police reforms and, you know, maybe start locking up a few more bad apple cops. And then people who said, well, for Black Lives to Matter, that means something more radical than just like nicer cops. But that that wing of the movement kind of got sidelined, I think. Um, but now the entirety of the movement is more. The, the people asking these systematic questions. Mm -hmm. So even the liberal end is asking for things that previously, the previous wave of Black Lives Matter wouldn't ask for, which is why I think these struggles are kind of 
beginning where the last one left off, at the peak of where the last one left off. And yeah, I agree. This is going to be a major cultural change that all the hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people who are in these marches are now saying, like, we're at war with the police, basically. Yeah. Like, the police in this country are, no, it's not bad apps. Even liberal people are understanding that they're basically up, up against, like, a mafia now. And, <laughs> like, what's it going to take to change that? Um, so that's what I, I think is the big change. I wonder how much it's, you know, and, and not, not to like sideline us too much, but I wonder how when people are in this present moment and, you know, more liberal people uh, or less left people, I guess, are still examining this from a structural standpoint and finally kind of like reckoning with the, the giant apparatus that we've created. I wonder if that's going to lead to more people uh, critically looking at the Obama era the Obama administration, which provided these police departments with all this equipment. You know, that's something we've been saying uh, for years, but it hasn't really gained purchase in, in liberal circles. You know, he's still a fairly, like, universally beloved figure. And I'm just wondering if if we're approaching that level of of a, awareness or uh, reckoning that that because that would be, I think, a turning point. I think if if a lot of liberals started recognizing the failures of the Obama era for what they were and not just because he had like, you know, Republicans in Congress or whatever. I think that would be a huge turning point. I, oh, I think that's going to play out in the election for sure. Like we've all just kind of forgotten that there's an election going on between two comically mentally incapacitated people, but that's going to come back into public view at some point obviously much later than normal, which is refreshing that we don't even have to be thinking about politicians right now. Um, but let me ask one last question and let you go. There was an attempt to make a autonomous zone in New York and Washington mm -hmm. Square Park that I, I don't, I don't want to say it didn't work. I just, you know, I wasn't there, but I haven't heard anything about it. And there was an attempt in Asheville as well. Do you think that these kinds of spaces are maybe the next step for the movement? Like, Occupy was like some place where people can come together and talk and, you know, share resources and share ideas and figure out what to do? Or do you think maybe it's a uniquely Seattle thing? I mean, S Seattle is is unique in, in a lot of respects, but, you know, the income inequality is crazy up here. You know, it's it's kind of derided as like a hipstery place, which is true, but it's also I mean, the, the, the rent is staggering, you know, it's not quite as high as like, uh, the Bay area and cat in California, but it's, it's, the rent is fucked. Uh, a lot of like people are struggling in this city. Like it's a gig economy city almost. Um, so it's unique in that way. Uh, but I think that what could serve as a loose model is just the idea of so many people taking a, uh, a proactive stance for their community actually going out and doing this work. I don't know if it's a result of the quarantine. Uh, people are, you know, out of work, so they have more time to do this sort of thing. That could be part of it. But I think the future, if there is a future of the left, it, it definitely involves people being proactive about their own communities, focusing less on elections, less on figureheads like Sanders and actually occupying, you know, I mean that metaf metaphorically occupying space in their city, occupying the conversation in their, in their city. Um, 
and we just happen to have so many people in Seattle. It's such a dense area, and it's it's got a left, a, a big left contingent that I think we made it impossible to ignore. Cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for talking to us and informing the world about what's going on in what otherwise is like a comic book imagination scape. It's kind of like the opposite of what you normally do. You usually you normally bring the uh, internet insanity to us, but now you're giving us a uh, reality. It's kind of a weird reversal. It, it's weird. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Like I actually did a live stream walking around uh, the chop last night on the Minion Death Cult Instagram, uh, and, it, and it, <laughs> it felt weird. It felt very weird to be that kind of a, a person now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm no longer a, a critic of right-wing media. I am, am a creator of left-wing media or something like that. <laughs> I'm a newsman. You're an inspiration for right-wing memes. There least. we go, yeah. everybody i am here with matt marcinic he has been doing some very cool mutual aid work in minneapolis with a group that's just formed called justice frontline aid um thanks for being here matt yeah thanks for having me so i should start by saying uh the way that i met matt was um i think i mentioned Someone, I, I mentioned, oh, someone's been doing mutual aid, maybe with liberated goods from Target, question mark, question mark. And uh, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. And uh, it's in Minneapolis where all this shit's going down. And then he hit me up on Twitter, slid into my DMs, and he was like, oh, hey, I'm one of those people. Uh, let me know if you want to talk. And, you know, whenever I hear from Antifada listeners who are out there doing cool things in the world, it makes me feel like we're doing something right. So thank you for that, Matt. Yeah, that's right. You you had mentioned the A tent, and then someone referenced a tweet. So I looked up that tweet, and it was a photo of us. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So reach out to you. Heck yeah. So um, I guess my first question should be, um, who are you, and how did you get involved in this kind of work? Yeah, um, I've been living in Minneapolis for seven years, have made some contact with people and obviously George Floyd died and quickly heard about it from everybody in the city and knew that there was going to be some type of demonstration at the third precinct, the third precinct that was responsible for his death. So some friends and I made it out that way, uh, just as participants. Uh, and what I quickly noticed was that people were getting hurt out there. There was, there was, you know, the tear gas, the rubber bullets, the flash grenades, the whole ordeal. So actually I had some friends wanting to come out later that night and they messaged, can we bring anything? What do people need out there? And I'm like, people are getting hurt out here. They have no help. Can you bring gauze? Can you bring band-aids? Can you bring something so we can treat people? So the next day we had an idea that it's one thing to have those supplies out there, but we need like a centralized location for it. So we had, so people were encamped in that target parking lot pretty much the entire day. So we got there early in the day and we set up these tents 
and just kind of made it known to all the protesters there that were there earlier in the day that we were seeking donations. Uh, or, yeah, if you want to call them donations, we'll let you infer what you will with that. Uh, and people, lots of people brought us supplies, and we gathered gathered quite a bit. And through once shit popped off again the second night, we were able to be a resource to win when the tear gas, when the flash grenades went off and people were getting injured, they had a, they knew where to run to. We had, we were able to seek out for mutual friends, uh, trained medics. We actually, we had this woman who, uh, was trained from the national guard as a medic who was kind of, kind of led the team in treating protesters. It was really cool how it came together. And I'm really proud they got to be a part of it. Interesting. Yeah, I was uh, really inspired at how quickly operations like this came together in the wake of this, uh, this really this uprising, this wave of resistance. Totally. Um, was it a pre-existing group of folks at all or more of an ad hoc uh, formation? Um, I, I knew the people that were kind of heading it. So it was me and a and a friend, and then the person who kind of took the lead, he's a, he's a friend of ours, but and he kind of seeked out some of his people that I had never met and kind of grew from there. So I've met a lot of people through this over the past week, but it started out with just a small group of friends. Cool, cool. That's, that's very interesting that a medic from the National Guard jumped on board. Um, we've been talking a little bit about the differences between the police and the military, and Obviously, both are bad and we want to abolish them. But it does seem like the military has not really wanted to get involved in putting down this uprising, at least because they view it as, uh, you know, an overly political and inappropriate function. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, uh, she is totally supportive of these protests, despite of her background fact she was able to kind of give us intel and in telling us this is what the national guard will do this is what they won't do these are the rumors you need to worry about these are the rumors you don't need to worry about so it's cool to have that information on our hand hell yeah i mean we've talked in other episodes of the antifada about how um the army has played a role for better or for worse in every uprising and every <laughs> every, every important revolution so uh it's good to hear we got some uh, comrades on the inside we do, we do. Uh, in fact, my uh, I have a neighbor who is ex-military who's now like as far left as I am, and we we talk about these things. So, yeah, there there are there are comrades from the military for sure. Cool, cool. So, um, what kinds of services did you provide for the protesters at this uh, mutual aid hub in the Target parking lot? A big thing we did a lot was. We we created uh, pre-made these saline solutions because when tear gas gets in your eye, and I can speak from experience now, it hurts a lot and it's really hard to get out. So you need to flush that shit out right away. And so that was kind of like one of the biggest things we were able to do. But also people had wounds from rubber bullets. So we were to put gauze saline on there. Um, we also handed out a lot of snacks and water. And we're just kind of like a center for people to kind of refuel so they can get back on the lines basically what we kind of set ourselves up to be and that's so important have have you uh do you have can you give me some sense of like the scope of how many protesters you were uh helping every day 
Yeah, I mean, the first day at the third precinct was the biggest one. That's when the police were the most aggressive. Uh, we we probably helped a couple hundred protesters that day, but we have been out because the protests in Minneapolis haven't stopped. They just kind of have been less publicized. I would say there are still people marching throughout various times of the day. And so we've been trying to be as any type of aid as we can. Even if it's just handing out water bottles, we're there. We actually uh, set up kind of a base at a local brewery, which is super cool that they allowed us to kind of take over their space. And people have been bringing us supplies throughout the week, every day, and we've been dispersing them to protesters. Nice. Yeah, I meant to ask you too, um, what's it like in Minneapolis right now? Like, I feel like, the sense I've gotten from talking to people is that the really, uh, shall we say, more militant wave of it has died down in terms of like fucking up cop cars and precincts <laughs> and, you know, big box stores that shall remain nameless and whatnot. But um, what what's happening? What's happening on the ground? Yeah, no police stations have burned down in a week. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's it's it's. It's kind of mellowed out, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, if it's still being effective. I think just a lot of it mellowing out, just the police are not as escalating as much. I think they kind of realize we're on watch. Um, there, like I said, there are still there's still marches, there are still demonstrations every day, but the real the real elevated kind of kind of what as you said militant stuff kind of died off after about four or five days word well uh none of these problems are going away so i would i will not be surprised if it starts up again um i mean that's that's the hope right the hope is that we just keep fighting until we get what we want well i'm really glad to see other cities kind of picking up the torch you know seeing about this uh autonomous zone in seattle is so inspiring and so w- where we kind of kind of took the brakes off, other cities are kind of putting it on. So it's not it's not ending, at least nationwide. No, it is not. Um, I've been to some pretty cool actions and protests in New York City, um, NYPD. Also notoriously bad. I mean, the cops are bad everywhere. But um, let's see. What else? Uh, we're, oh, we actually have we're doing an interview with someone who is in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and that's going to run in this very same episode. So that's I'm stoked about that. Looking forward to hearing that. Hell yeah. So um, to get a little broader, um, what are your politics? Um, what what are your priorities in this in this struggle? And uh, how does mutual aid fit into it? You know, I. I've always identified with, well, not always. I used to be like very far right and transitioned to the left years ago. But um, I heard, so I, would, I, I was a big Bernie supporter, identified with that camp. But right now, I think my politics have changed even more to the left. I heard, I heard Brett from Rev Left Radio say something really profound the other day and how... Basically, Bernie was maybe the limits of our white imagination, and now we're seeing like full-on revolution that's being black and indigenous-led. And maybe we don't necessarily have to wait for a politician. We can change this stuff ourselves. 
And so I don't really know what the political label of that is that if that's anarcho-socialism or not as well versed in in the terminology but that's where that's i would put right. myself at cool cool yeah i mean there is a deep uh deep tradition of mutual aid in uh anarchist circles and uh syndicalist circles and whatnot but what one thing i found pretty inspiring about this is it's really united a lot of uh leftist tendencies that you know an absence of a uniting factor might tend to bicker amongst themselves like it's it's felt really uh solidaristic and supportive absolutely um and also what you said about bernie or what brett said friend of the show we love brett we've had him on before um it rings very true. Um, I think Bernie was good for what he was, and you know we we gave it a we gave it a shot. It was worth a shot. Um, but in at least it seems in this moment, um, we've seen the limits of electoral politics, at least under the present circumstances. And the most important thing, as always, is you know, regular ass people like yourself, uh, mm -hmm. getting involved in the struggle and figuring it out. I, uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I work at a, at a, at a cafe, a coffee shop here and I went to work and then I went on my phone and saw the news and all of a sudden I'm thrust into, into this big global struggle. I, I didn't see it coming, but I'm glad. I'm glad. No, I'm not. Obviously, not glad that George Floyd died. I'm not glad that it happened, but I'm glad that I'm being able to be a part of this movement. That's that's a that's a nice way to put it. I feel a similar way. Um, I also think it's important to emphasize. Um, like I, I was talking with um, Faye from the Socialist Rifle Association a while back, mm -hmm. and um, she made sure to emphasize the uh, mutual aid aspects of their group. And, you know, everyone wants to talk about the guns because obviously guns are fucking cool. Guns are fucking scary and flashy and, you know, all the all the revolutionary violent uh, connotations that they carry. But um, it's just as important to have people doing this kind of um, rear guard work, should I say, like just doing the, the collective care work and um community defense really that is going to be an essential part of any movement if it wants to have any um any longevity there right like not everybody is going to be comfortable uh smashing shit up on the front lines and that's okay because there are lots and lots and lots of other tasks that need to be performed no i mean yeah protesters need resources and getting resources out to protesters is, is just as important as a task as as you say smashing shit that's right. Um, diversity of tactics, as they say. So um, what is the future of this mutual aid project looking like? Um, you said that you're still going with it and um, you might turn it into some kind of more of official organization. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's what I hear from uh, people kind of organizing it. I don't I don't know the the. I guess the strategy behind that other than kind of getting it more the name easier to get the name out and build awareness. Obviously I think being the nature of what we're doing trying to do and be in the middle 
of these unrest. I think we got to be careful with it, but that is that is that is the plan, as from what I can tell, going forward. That's what we're going to push for. For for um, you're going to be a nonprofit or. What's yeah, yeah, some type, some type of, some type of nonprofit. I actually, I, like I said, I'm not as involved with the upper organizing of it, but that's that's what has kind of been communicated down to me. Yeah, that that has been a tricky question with a lot of the mutual aid groups that have uh, popped up recently in the wake of COVID and now these this wave of protests, like. Uh, there was actually a split recently in uh, my local mutual aid organization, Bushwick Mutual Aid, between the people who wanted to turn it into uh, an NGO and the ones that wanted to keep it, you know, just purely a grassroots uh, movement outside of the state and the NGO sector. And uh, I, I tend to lean towards um, don't don't be an NGO, but yeah. I, I realize that everyone's circumstances are different. No, I, 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 yeah, I understand those concerns. I think, I think the thought process here is just we have a lot of people who have already had experience uh, with with nonprofits and know how to kind of maneuver them. And I think a lot of people are our goals are communicated well enough with each other that it, it makes sense for our purposes. Just for just just so we can make it a little more public and uh, give a face to it. Well, I'll be uh, curious to see how that develops as sure. uh, as time progresses. Um, so we like to end. This is not exactly the end, but we like to end uh, most interviews and episodes with some sort of call to action. So um, if there are people listening to this thinking. Oh, that sounds really cool. How do I get involved? How do I support this? Maybe they want to start their own thing. Like, what What would you tell them? Honestly, just do it. I Like, we didn't really know what we were doing getting in. We just saw the need and showed up, and people came to help. So you don't need a lot of organizing experience to organize which is something i've learned you just kind of have to put yourself out there and be passionate about what you're fighting for and if you know people they'll be willing to help if they're as passionate as you and big things can happen with very little oh yeah that's uh words to live by um so oh i also wanted to ask you um because you know as you said the sort of militant side of the protests maybe the more violent part has died down a bit are you going to um are you going to repurpose the uh the people you serve or the purposes that you serve and make it more of a general uh mutual aid project or will it continue to be focused on um protests i i the 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 idea right now is to keep it focused on protest, obviously it'll have to morph outside of just the George Floyd protest. There are anti-ice, about uh, ice protests happening in Minneapolis. There was a tearing down of a Columbus statue the other day. So there are going to be causes that are going to need to be fought in Minneapolis for the foreseeable future. And so we're going to 
we're going to stand behind those causes and we're going to we're going to be present. That's great. There's no shortage of need, certainly, uh, going forward. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Um, I yeah. also could not help but notice when I clicked on your Twitter profile that you're also a music blogger of sorts. Yeah, uh, yeah. I run a small blog called Drunk Muskrat. It's a I studied journalism in college. I I still have aspirations to do it professionally, so I'm kind of just doing my own thing right now and seeing where it takes off. Very cool, very cool. I was once a music journalist, yeah. as you may know. Um, the money wasn't great to begin with, and now it's kind of terrible. But uh, I, I think what the best thing to do is really what you're doing right now, which is start your own thing, and um, maybe people will give you money for it. That's what we did the antipada and it uh worked out pretty well for us but uh looking at your uh at the at the things you covered first of all like it made me feel good that i just knew what a lot of these things were because i feel like mm -hmm. i've kind of uh lost touch with the the music world looking at your uh your best of list i saw a lot of my faves on there like uh jenny vall sano Lingo Ignata, Black Midi, Nick Cave, FK Twigs, Angel Olsen. I was like, yeah, this this guy definitely seems like what I would imagine an Antifada listener to be like. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got a uh, similar taste in music to me. He's a mutual aid. Like that's all. That's all very cool. Glad I glad I glad I fit the fit the stereotype, so to say. <laughs> so uh, any. Uh, any parting words that you have for the all the folks out there, all the Antifada super soldiers um, listening to this and uh, feeling feeling hopeful? What's what's your vibe? Yeah, well, obviously, I uh, I stand in solidarity with all the protesters. I've seen a lot of reporting about what's going on in Minneapolis from CNN and. I think a lot of it is bullshit. I am on the ground and I see it with my own eyes. I think the messaging that a lot of the mainstream news outlets kind of push revolving the protest is not honest. Um, also, there's a lot of reporting about how our city council voted to dismantle the police department, which is great if it's true but i don't also trust it there's a lot of backpedaling and a lot of language like this is a goal for the far future so um no matter what good news you get keep up the fight because if you don't you're going to give your legislators excuse not to not to take action yeah i mean what's what's going on um in the reporting that you would like to correct the record on well, well, the biggest thing is that at the third precinct, the cops escalated that shit. Like we went there, obviously we we yelled stuff at the cops. We we threw the eight calves and the fuck twelves and all the fun little fun little slogans at them. But we weren't trying to, to we weren't really trying to harm anyone at the moment. Uh, but that was too much for the cop. They just couldn't handle their. Uh, legitimacy be questioned in any way, so they let hell rain down on us. Um, I was about 
200 feet when the auto zone burned down, which was the first thing to come by. What was really suspicious about that to me is that most of the protesters were far away from the auto zone. They were more in the target parking lot, which is it's a big parking lot. So there's some distance between that and the auto zone. So I, I've seen some of the, the theories that it was a cop or the white supremacist. I don't know who burned it down, but it wouldn't have burnt down if it wasn't for the force that the police took. And after that, it was kind of a domino effect after the auto zone fell and just kind of people not being able to hold in their rage and good for them. They shouldn't have to, but it wasn't just some random attacking businesses, as I've seen the reporting kind of suggest. Yeah, I mean... If you if to, to take it back to Target, um, I did a little research and found out that Target actually gives money to the Minneapolis Police Department. Yeah, they're they, based here. Which they then use to uh, brutalize and oppress people in all sorts of horrible ways. So not crying any tears for them. And that third precinct that burned down was the, actually our local newspaper did some actually surprisingly good reporting on it. And um, that station in itself is particularly aggressive and has a laundry list of brutality and misconduct reports against that station uh, in itself. So, yeah, I, I it made sense that we were so so intent in targeting that particular place. Makes sense to me. Um, yeah, Andy had a good uh, spiel in our last episode, I think, about how there's always uh, political content to looting. And you really shouldn't try to separate the good protesters from the bad protesters, as um, so many people in the liberal media are trying to do, right? Like, it, it, it challenges the basic logic of capitalism that says, you know... Um, we have an abundance of goods, often an overproduction of goods, but the only way you can access them is to uh, give up a large chunk of your life to a boss and work for a wage so that, uh, you know, capitalists can accumulate profit. And it's, it's a powerful thing when people are like, fuck that, I'm taking what I need and what I want for myself. I watch so many, um, so many poor families walk in that Target who don't have access to goods like like a lot of people do and they were able to feed their family for a week like that's to me that's justice that's awesome dead ass well cool um i think that's all the questions i have for you thank you so much for um stopping by talking yeah, absolutely. to people and uh oh is there a is there a place people can go to donate to your project yeah, we have a PayPal set up, uh, justicefrontlineaidcrew at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Twitter to get information. It's justicefrontlineaid or at aid underscore justice. 
cool. I will definitely put a link to those things on in the in the episode description. Awesome. Appreciate oh. it. Thank you so much. Um, keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, solidarity. Solidarity. Screaming out, oink, oink, bang, bang, gang, 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 gang. Murder, 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 they mind state. I just made me a meal and still militant. This ain't conscious rap. This shit ignorant, nigga, hair trigger. Ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. When I cock back, police better run. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, fuck twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, fuck twelve. Sixteen shots, and we bucking back. Sixteen shots. So Jamie, in your interview with Matt, there was a there were a couple interesting things at play. The first is um, something we also saw in Seattle, which is this sort of interplay between uh, the destruction or the destructiveness that comes when you're necessarily fighting not just the police but fighting for um, civil rights, you know, against police brutality on the street. But that kind of destruction combined with this element of creation as well, right? Creating this mutual aid hub, essentially out of the ruins of a, of a target and a neighborhood that had been completely fucked up by the police. So I think that this, this goes to remind us that like, you know, people when I'm thinking like paradise built in hell, people when they're up against difficult odds and when there is a crisis and when they're, forced to uh there is definitely this tendency to come together more so than i think the propaganda which says that people immediately turn on each other and become violent and you know do the the zombie hellscape type uh type situation yeah, I think that's absolutely true um i was really inspired to see how quickly this project came together uh people just helping each other out some of whom knew each other already some of whom didn't just getting involved they saw a need and they filled the need and that is not something that our capitalist overlords teach us is a part of human nature yeah that's right um and i think you see this uh both about minneapolis and also about seattle and uh, alexander edwards talked a bit about this is like the real fear amongst you know the powers that be and certainly their lackeys and lapdogs in the right-wing media about people actually taking matters into their own hands yeah, you I know think that's a common thread between both of them um like alexander was talking about at the end of his interview with andy as well right like the thing he finds really inspiring about this is it is people regular people taking a proactive stance for their community um not focusing so much on elections, although, you know, they might not be mutually exclusive, um, but just on a super local level, occupying space, both literally and figuratively and figuring shit out and just trying to be the change they want to see in the world. And whatever critiques we may have of uh, mutual aid as praxis or of um, the Chaz or the CHOP or whatever they're calling themselves now, uh, <laughs> that whole, Chaz Chop. The, the Virgin Chop versus the Chad Chaz. Uh, Chaz and Attack God. Exactly. Uh, but that, yeah, that holds very, very true. Uh, no, I meant to say Chaz and Chop God. That works better. Yeah, we're workshopping it. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll uh, get there. We, we we'll get in the there. Comms department of Antifa. So. That's right. That's right. We we basically are the comms uh, comms department at this point. But yeah, like. Um, uh, you, you pointed to maybe some limits to mutual aid. Let's kind of flesh that out a little bit because, um, you know, it, it seems like there's these what are posed to us are two 
different types of, of action, right? There's either like complete like autonomous organization on like a community or working place level. And then there's like Bernie Sanders type politics, you know, kind of like this electoral push to get like needed reforms done, uh, you know, on a federal or state level or an international level, I suppose too. But like, I, I think we've mentioned this on, when we've spoken about it before, but like a lot of these same people who are out there in the streets of Minneapolis and Seattle right now are those Bernie people, right? They're people that got radicalized through this, people who are disappointed now in the ways that uh, things have worked out within the electoral system. And I think it's interesting. You see that this solidarity on the street. Uh, I think you and I were both there, and Andy was too, in Queens uh, when Bernie Sanders and AOC and all those bourgeois politicians stood up and uh, it was a very beautiful moment, uh, asked people if they're willing to fight for, to, for the person next to them, right? Well, I guess the answer is yes. Uh, maybe not in the way that Bernie Sanders or AOC expected it, right? But I think that there is this sort of building solidarity between people that you can see expressed in these different Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think uh, Bernie, certainly not AOC, would think that there's any conflict between what what they're doing and the current uh, protest movement, although Bernie has had some bad takes about how we need to give more money to the police uh, to do better somehow, I guess. Uh, he may have right. outlived his usefulness in this moment. I hate to say it, but um, like. No, I mean, you don't even hate to say it. Like, I think it's just kind of a reality, like how. Uh, how irrelevant, uh, not just Bernie Sanders, but like Joe Biden and even to an extent Donald Trump are when you're out in the streets as, as we've been or when you look at see what's happened in Minneapolis or certainly what's happening in Seattle right now. Like it seems like everyone's kind of working their way past that right now through and yeah, past well, it. Like we said, when the Bernie campaign ended, um, there is still a whole lot of left left populist energy, whatever you want to call it out there. None of the problems have gone away. And uh, I mean, right. I'm sure there are some interesting local races, but um, that energy has to go somewhere. And it's definitely not going to go to phone banking for fucking Joe Biden for the most part. So people right. are, uh, for the most people part, yeah. other things now. They need a new way to express it. They need a new way to... Um, to take power and i think all of the stuff we've been seeing is very uh it's exciting i i hate to use the e-word empowering but it's that it's that as well <laughs> i mean uh alexander and and andy kind of touched on this uh in the interview like a lot of the crowd are libs, right? Or they're people that are like moving from sort of standard progressivism in the United States towards something else. And nothing beats the reality into one's head quicker than a police baton, I would say. Uh, and so like, it's not merely um, an increasing alienation from the police and, and from society with this, but it's also, it seems like there's this movement towards uh, a more creative application of, um, you know, people's uh, imaginations, you know, as they've been forced to confront these things, not just the police violence, but obviously also the coronavirus uh, epidemic and subsequent economic collapse, which is really forcing the issues, I think, for a lot of people out there. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, also, I, it was interesting what uh, Brett from RevLeft Radio said about how Bernie kind of represented the limits of the white imagination and now it's the black mm. imagination taking over. I don't think that's 100% true. 
I think maybe Bernie represented the limits of the liberal imagination or the progressive imagination, and there's right. certainly a lot of crossover there with uh, the white imagination or the imagination of people who are, let's say, some living somewhat comfortable existences, um, not uh, not right. yet, not not totally immiserated. I, I hate to generalize, L- but. Uh, Let's be careful not to like reify white people yeah, imagination too. You know, I, I get what it's what they're it's saying there, but it's not. You know, it's but, uh, sure, but I think the point does still stand though that like um, we've talked about this this vanguard that exists right now, and they're like young, pissed off, mostly black kids, uh, and they've been the ones who have been the most militant in this, and they're kind of creating new forms of like fight back on the streets and it's certainly i think the case that those those people are dragging a lot of other folks kicking and screaming towards uh more militant self-activity and i think that like back to the you know are you willing to fight for somebody else thing i don't want to get too controversial with this i don't want to put too fine a point on it right i don't think it's merely that you see a good faith um like solidaristic sort of movement of white people um, feeling um, the impact of all these police murders and like the decades of police brutality against black and mostly black and brown people. Right. I think that like, that is a huge part of it. I think that like white people are showing solidarity along these, these lines that are very clear right now, cops versus protesters and uh, you know, the police state versus black Americans. I think it's also too, in a, in a weird sort of Freudian projected way, I think, um, white people, if we could reify that again, or at least like working class people more generalized from the, from the black community, I think are in a process of figuring out that they have to fight. And it's easier at this early stage right now in this development of consciousness to fight on behalf of other people when really maybe they don't realize it yet. Maybe the consciousness isn't there yet, but eventually people are going to have to start fighting for themselves generally, right? Like as a class. But I think in this particular moment, there's a sort of comfort, a psychological comfort, collective comfort in imagining that like they're fighting for other people. When in reality, it's hopefully the beginning of the working class in general fighting for itself. Well, I think obviously it's tough to generalize about the protesters, but Certainly, all of the people that I know are working within sort of an intersectional socialist or even communist framework whereby they understand the connections between um, the purpose that the police serves in society, um, capitalist exploitation, and white supremacy. And to the degree that some of the people involved, some of the more liberal elements are still figuring it out. Um, it's on these experienced leftists to kind of lead on that token and make the connections, connect the dots, not in an obnoxious, like, mansplaining way, but just in a supportive, good, uh, leftist, organizing kind of way. I don't know. There might be a better way to put that. Well, you know, the the shocking thing about, um, you know, Minnesota was obviously like a bit different from what happened with the Chaz or the Chop, whatever you want to call it, um, because it was um, a destruction of a police space as opposed to like the defeat of the police and then the takeover and creation of like a whole area that's sort of won by the people. Both but like, recommend them. Uh, yeah, if you had told me two, three months ago that uh, Occupy Wall Street 
uh, type thing would come back, I would call you completely crazy. Like <clears throat> the amount of time and energy people have spent on shitting on Occupy, um, you know, talking about drum circles, talking about hippies, uh, pointing to the real limitations of it. Uh, certainly not just in terms of like the practicality of holding space and trying to create a community, like a purposeful community somewhere, but also in its like deliberative process, being able to make decisions in this sort of directly democratic way. Like it, it's interesting to me and, and I'm trying to just kind of take it in. I'm trying to be open-minded uh, about what we're seeing in the Chaz Chop. Uh, which is that there seems to be something again now, eight, nine years later, that's drawn people to this sort of form, this form of protest, and also this form of like being together, right? Yeah, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think we are seeing a sort of synthesis of all of the protest movements that have come before, like we've talked about in the past from the WTO uh, free trade protests to Occupy Wall Street to Black Lives Matter. And they're all starting to kind of coalesce in a really good way where they're starting to tie together um, capitalist exploitation, uh, neoliberalism, austerity, white supremacy, and police violence in a way that is starting to make a whole lot of sense. And it's happening. It's not happening because some, you know, theory head in their ivory tower is like dictating from on high. It's just happening in a very organic way. And as the result of millions of people all over the place, um, putting their heads together and, you know, getting out there in the streets and figuring it out, which is why, like, even if there are some cringy things that go on, even if there are some right. cringy tweets, I have like a thousand times more respect for some uh, some young anarchist on the ground actually doing shit than I do, you know, some contrarian on Twitter who just wants to hate. Right. Yeah. And the, it could not be more stark, I think, when you hear the report backs or you're out on the streets hearing what's happening, not just in Seattle and Minneapolis, but like has been happening all over the country for weeks now. It could not be more stark, the sort of attitude of direct action and like materially confronting the problem of the police, you know, through defunding and up to abolition, potentially there's the disconnect between that and the sort of like corporate speak, the kind of idealism that you get from, you know, not just liberals, but also the fucking like corporations, <laughs> you know, or people on Instagram putting those black squares in and talking about having the conversation, you know, or like talking about these, these ways that we're going to look inside of ourselves as individuals and solve white supremacy or like you're going to get individual cops and give them even better bias training so they don't shoot as many people. Like I feel like that idealism right now looks very silly compared to like the material struggle that's happening on the street. And I hope that's becoming clear to more and more people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the topic of recuperation, um, people have been, you know, rightfully concerned about the kind of recuperation that's been happening. Um, liberal politicians, they all want to get in on this and look like they're on the protesters' side. Um, some people have been saying a lot of the right words, but then when you dig into what they actually want to do, it's more of the same bullshit, right. failed reforms that don't do anything. We've seen People like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> oh, jeez. We've, uh, we've seen brands trying to co-opt it. Um, I've heard from, uh, I read that some businesses in the Chaz, you know, they're still open. They've even been saying that it's good for business, which like, right. 
Mm, I don't know. Uh, the, the, not really what you want to hear about your like intersectional anti-capitalist movement, right? Right. Like for business. But like one thing I was talking about with my comrades in Emerge the other night is like the fact that liberals are even trying to co-opt this, pe- NGO grifters, politicians, whoever, it means that what we're doing is working. It's having right. an impact and we need to fucking keep it up. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and the people who dismiss it completely as id poll are obviously like they have um, uh, uh, ulterior motives, let's say. Right. Uh, I think it is it is certainly the case that the fact that this is being fought on the terrain of identity, which is to say, like, it is Black Lives Matter specifically about, you know, this this decades, hundreds of year long history that the police state has of uh, destroying black lives and, and killing people. And I think because it's on that realm of identity that a lot of sort of corporations and liberal politicians are used to, um, they think that they can recuperate it easier than they could in the past. But I, I feel like something different is happening right here. And it's different because, as we've said, it's kind of moved from this activist milieu of leftists out into the broader uh, population, you know, a broadly working class population. And so I think that I think the materiality of the struggle is something new and something different and something that's going to make it more different, difficult to co-opt, which you already are seeing about the debates in the media about it, which are like completely divorced from uh, what's happening on the ground. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit on our line goes down Twitch stream. Uh, we talked about it some more today on the majority report. Got a really, uh, just a really sad call from Jeff from Georgia. He was missing his usual uh, joie de vivre. He was basically saying, uh-huh. like, I'm 35. Uh, I'm a millennial. We're all fucked. We have no future. And that's why we're getting involved. And that's why we have to do something about it. And, like, Jeff is a, a white guy, right? And I think <clears throat> it's not surprising in the first place that it's coming through the door of racial oppression because these material factors and this material deprivation have always been worse for black and brown people, right? And they're right. certainly worse for young black and brown people right now. But the, um, the, kind of, the kind of shady deal that capital used to make with the white working class, right? Like the wages of whiteness, whatever you want to call it, say you buy into the system you side with the bosses instead of with your fellow workers. And, you know, you might not have total control over your life. You might not own the means of production, but you get a decent standard of living. And right. it's better than the people who are below you on the totem pole. Like, I, right. I mean, I think that's always been a bad deal. Right. But of course, it was it was a persuasive one, though. Right. It was persuasive for as long as the line was not so far down. It had some like you could see why some white people would have thrown in their lot with that deal on a material level. And now, well, even even more than some. I mean, I think that like that, that sort of class compact had hegemony, you know, and I think it did because they're again. Yeah. And I think that's that's sad, but it's understandable. Right. Yeah. And you're saying that that's going bye bye. Yeah. I think I agree. Yeah, That's going bye bye. And more and more uh, young people, more and more young white people are getting hip to the fact that, yeah, it's always been a bad deal. It's especially a bad deal right now. And the same forces 
that are keeping uh, black and brown youth oppressed are also coming for them. Like the benefits yeah. of the welfare state, they were always contingent on the needs of capital, and that's going away. So now more than ever, it's really important to unite as a class, as a multiracial, multigender, multinationality working class, and fight to overthrow the system because it's, uh, it's coming for all of us eventually. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, it's coming for all of us. And uh, as we kind of round things out, um, I think that another thing is coming for us, too. And I try not to even look at the news about climate change recently because it's um, it's all very dire. It's all very black pilling, you know, to look at how quickly things are moving, um, you know, not to mention this like ongoing uh, punctuated collapse of American empire. Like it's entirely possible that we could see in our lifetimes, maybe pretty soon, something that looks like the collapse of the of what the Soviet uh, Union looked like, right? Not like a, a complete civil war, but just sort of like a breaking down and a cracking up of the system because the United States, like a lot of, I, probably most people don't really believe that it, it's like should be, a, <laughs> that it's an ongoing concern or certainly don't believe, they're going through the motions of voting, you know, if they even choose to vote at all. It seems like everything's decrepit. The politicians are corrupt. Uh, their standard of living is dropping. I think it's like entirely possible with this political and economic crisis on the one hand with a climate crisis on the other that within a decade or two we could be seeing a breakup so it's even more important than ever to kind of regain to relearn the sort of mutual aid practices and organizing practices that people have used in the past in order to create networks of solidarity that exist at a time when guess what there's really not many other people to turn to except for each other except for the working class person standing next to you dead ass um but should we leave it there or do you have do you want to finish this out oh well i wanted to get your take on the autonomous zone all right start start over again then dead ass so before we wrap this up i wanted to get your take on the autonomous zone as a tactic uh because i know they have a history i think they're most Mostly uh, the, the occupation that is uh, associated, especially with May 68. You probably know more about that than I do. But um, what, what's your feeling about this as a tactic going forward? Is this, uh, this going to be important? Does it have limitations? Like, what's, what's going on? Oh, I think the limitations are really fucking clear, when, especially when you said and Alexander talked about um, how, you know, businesses are still functioning uh, everyday life is kind of still going on. Obviously, nothing has happened yet to make this um, kind of enter the, the hidden abode of production, as it were. Uh, it's still very much like on the level of like taking space and building community and sort of like, if anything, it touches a little bit of circulation and distribution of stuff, but not really. Like in Minneapolis, like you, you can, it, it's amazing, right, that people are parody taking parodied stuff from target and then giving it out for free but that isn't a solution to like a mode of production right it's essentially it could be parasitic on it it could be setting the the, the standards setting like the basis for uh from each according to their ability to each according to their need potentially but it's a very very far cry from like say what happened in spain in, in 1936 
or even uh, May 68 in France, where uh, a series of protests similar to this against police violence on the part of mostly students very quickly kind of uh, lit the tinders of French society and entered into the, uh, the factories and workplaces and caused like the largest general strike in French history, shutting society down for uh, a week and a half and forcing the ruling class to like make a historical bargain with the French uh, working class to, for pensions and welfare and, you know, minimum wage and unions and all that shit. Like uh, we're still pretty far from that right now. So I think that, you know, we should be optimistic about it, but we also shouldn't think that an autonomous zone is going to do too much. Right. It's um, the ha- Hakim Bay sort of Taz uh, conception of uh uh, crack communism where you're creating or crack anarchism where you're creating like a new society in the cracks can get you somewhere. And I think it's important in the meantime to like be creating these modes of interaction and, and these solidarities that exist like in, in the real world, not just online, right? People are so alienated right now that it's incredible to see people come together in this way and be around one another. Um, but like, you know, I think there's ultimately a limitation with that. And eventually you're going to have to go from like defeating the police and like taking an area for a bit of time uh, and then creating something. And eventually you're going to have to go back and start attacking power again. You're going to have to eventually start literally overthrowing stuff or it's going to be like Occupy Wall Street again. And people are just going to kind of fade away and the novelty of it will be lost. And you'll get a bunch of organizers out of it. You'll get a bunch of activists out of it and some good memories. Um, but maybe not so much more than that. Oh, but I thought the real rev was the friends we made along the way. Is that not true? <laughs> I mean, sure. That, that's, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, inconvenient truth. You still got to smash the state. Still got to do it, folks. You can't wait for it to smash itself. Not going to happen. It's definitely not going to smash itself. <laughs> Bourgeois politicians are not going to smash it for you either. Although it is cool that uh, Kashama Sawant uh, led the protesters to uh, City Hall to fuck shit up. Yeah. Like uh, a socialist alternative politician. If, uh, if socialists in office serve any purpose, really, I think it's letting protesters into government buildings to fuck shit up. Oh, yeah. Like uh, Winnie Wong I, was talking about that with Bernie as well. It certainly doesn't help to have uh, people on the inside, as it were, who are willing to bow to bow to the authority of the masses, at least in small ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a smooth operator. Like, I, I want to just say to close things out, like people have to understand, too, if there's disappointments about, you know, this aspect of CHOP or like, you know, the limitations of maybe a mutual aid organization turning into an NGO and then potentially just becoming like a, you know, a part of the court sort of liberal NGO complex or whatever. Like, remember that um, these things, these are historical processes and it seems like we're in the beginning of what's going to be a long and serious rupture uh, with uh, everyday life out of the contradictions, of course, of class society, which are kind of bursting at the seams right now. So engage in it, be part of the process, as Matt, the great Antifada listener, was, uh, you know, as, as Alexander went down there and, you know, threw down and helped do security down in the chop chaz, like certainly be involved in it and try to make things, you know, better if you see them, don't just shit on them, but also know too that this is is not the end all and be all and that we still have a long, long road to go and you can be optimistic that, uh, you know, things are starting to move. Yep, hunker down, folks. 
We're in it for the long haul. That's it. All right, folks. See you next week. We might make a pork rind out of pig, bro Somebody tell these motherfuckers Keep their hands off me I ain't a motherfucking slave Keep your chains off me You better hope this 9mm jam on me I get blown I hope you got your body cam turned on Fuck a black cop too That's the same fight You got a badge, bitch But you still ain't white This for Laquan on sight When you see Van Dyke Tell him I don't bring a knife to a gunfight